Hey, deviants. Thank you for tuning in to We, we Say, Say Weird, Weird Shit. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of We Say Weird Shit, where we say weird shit. We are your humble hosts. My name is Dave. And I'm Liz. And today we have, uh, do you, would you prefer G. Mick Smith or Mick Smith? Oh, or Dr. Digital? <laughs> well, Dr. Digital is a podcast and that's what I go by, but it's Mick like Jagger, except he makes more money. So Mick is fine. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Well, um, everybody, say hello to Mick Smith. And uh, Mick has a very interesting uh, book that is it just came out. And um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah, so I've been in education for a long time. So the reason I'm saying there's a background in terms of the novel is that I know how to write because I'm an academic, right? That's the hey. doctor of digital comes in. So I know what a subject is. I know what a verb is. I can put sentences together. However, this is the first foray into novel writing. So no, I don't know how to write a novel exactly, right? So I'm learning and learned. And so I did what academics do. I said, all right, you're going to look in something and research it and find out how to do it. So I got a bunch of books and articles and said, how do you write characters? How do you write dialogue? How do you arrange and structure a novel and things like that? So I think I came better prepared for this. And then I think like anything, you have to have a good story or no one's going to read, right? So mm-hmm. you wake up in the morning and somebody brushes their teeth is not going to get somebody engaged and involved in a story. So I think I had a good story. And I think in terms of background, I said, you know, I shouldn't be sitting on it because actually I did. There are some of these things that were real events actually happened. So around 1998 to 2001, and a very similar experience happened to people that I came across and I knew. And I said, well, this is probably a little bit more common than I might think. And I think maybe I've got a good story to sort of resonate with other people who have been to a similar experience or can relate to it. Now, we picked up uh, a digital copy of your book. I'd like to get a hard copy of it as well. Um, and where would be, we be able to find uh, Burning America? Yeah, it's a good question. So uh, one of the things that I do, because I have several things that I actually do, digital marketing is one. So I have a website like a lot of other people, but it's burning-america.com is the personal site, burning-america.com. So if you want a personalized copy, you know, I can autograph it or say, hey, want it for, want it for my Aunt Margaret and, you know, it's her birthday and something like that. But it's also available on Amazon. Barnes and Noble and Walmart as well too. So it's got a pretty good distribution network there. But you see, you see a bigger uh, margin on the burning dash America.com, correct? That is. And the advantage I think for the person, because I mean, I would like to try to be more personalized too, because buying on Amazon. So you're there with millions of other people all over the world, but I actually make direct contact with a lot of people. You know, I'll make a personal statement in the book where I'm, 
addressing somebody, if they want an address, I'll write to them, you know, so I'm trying to build a community as well, too. So I do have a community as Burning America community. And what I'm trying to do is honestly just help people. And with another other couple projects down the road and in process, I think I can do that and engage people in a community. So if you want the more personal touch, yeah, that's the way to get a hold of me. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm going to have you write a personal note to me, right? <laughs> yeah. I won't say the name of the podcast because, you know, mom might be listening and she might read it, but uh, yeah, that's something personal too. Yeah. I <laughs> love it. Love it. That's fair. That's fair. Um, so uh, why don't you give us just a, just a little taste of what, what your book's about? Yeah, it's a good question. And to say that, it happens is probably really unfortunate, but I did the research for this and there's something like 220 million people who have been impacted by what people would consider a child custody issue or parental alienation. But to give an intro into the book, it's like one of those things that I think, you know, give an example, if I'm brushing my teeth, no one wants to read this, but the way it starts out essentially is that you have a primary caregiver who is a father and a man and he finds that his child is taken for one place or another consistently over a period of time. However, he pulls up in his driveway the, driveway the one day and he can see from the driveway, the curtains are gone, the furniture is gone, the house is completely stripped, everything <clears throat> is gone. And of course, like a lot of people that go, well, you know, it's unfortunate, but those are things and they can be replaced. But of course the concern is for a child and at that point, Paul, who is the protagonist here, has a daughter and the daughter is gone. So does the background check on the banks? Bank accounts have been stripped. He looks in his pocket. He has $5.85 to his name. Car had broken down. They has no car. $5.85. Furniture is gone. Empty bank accounts. And he has to get his daughter back. So that's how it begins. Hopefully that's enough of a hook to get people interested and want to be curious, like what happened in this situation? What happened to this guy? Yeah, it definitely sounds interesting. Um, and you know, relatable, I think, you know, um, I, uh, <clears throat> I've been in situation, you know, I've been in a situation, I do have a child and, you know, his mother and I are no longer together. Um, and, uh, he's an adult now, which is fantastic. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, it's one of those things that, you know, they, you know, children are so often used as weapons and mm -hmm. I think it can kind of create some sort of animosity as well, you know, and it's a, it, it's a problem. I think especially like Liz and I, we both know somebody who, who's who's in that same situation as well like you know we're it's relatable yeah it's very relatable and it's definitely something i would like to read um so, i'll, I'll give ahead. you an idea just to interject in here for a, a just a moment to give you an idea of how long this has been a problem because i said yes yeah, so you know might might know people yourself or others who have been in a situation if you remember way back when at the birth of rock and roll there was a guy named chuck berry and if you ever get a chance, listen closely to the words and the lyrics in the song Memphis, Tennessee. 1959, he released that. And the lyrics of the song are, and this basic story is, he comes home and his uncle has a number written on the wall. And who can this possibly be? He only knows one person in Memphis, Tennessee. And that's 
his child who is six years old and he even gives the reason why is this child not with him he says because her mother and i did not agree so i think mm -hmm. there you have it this is 1959 that he either he experienced it himself or he knew somebody or enough who was common enough and so that was 1959 so my goodness folks are you telling me 60 years something like this has been going on yeah, it's got to stop. And I think that's what makes it in compelling stories. A lot of people can relate. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, we've heard about your book. Let's hear about yourself. Um, you have given us a bit of your educational background and uh, your personal, you know, but what do you do like in your free time? Yeah, it's probably various things. So usually people are saying, what do you do? The question is always, what do you do for fun? Because that's the difficult one to answer. Because most of the things that I do, I want to do, I'm enjoying doing. Right. And a lot of people would say that's work. But then again, you can also get in a point in life where you're doing what you enjoy doing. So I do have a classic car. It's actually my dad, God rest his soul, he passed on. That was his favorite car and his baby, other than mom, but that was their, also their first new car, 1957 Buick Special Riviera 46-R, and I keep it in his memory. So just having a classic car that is about 60 years old in one family is pretty unusual and almost never happens, but that's the time where you had American muscle and big V8s and what have you. So that's kind of fun, just having that around. And of course, keeping the memory of my dad is important as well too. Oh, absolutely. But other than that, you know, do a digital marketing. I'm a voice talent. I record books for authors or can do commercials and those types of things, which is just kind of a fun thing to do. So years and years ago, I was in broadcasting in radio broadcasting. That's basically how I got through college. A guy calls me down to his office the one day, he's the advisor, and he says, do you know you have enough credits to graduate? I was so naive. I didn't know anything about it. Didn't know credits, didn't know graduation, had no idea. No one in my family had gone to college. So I'm like, okay, well, what do I do now? It's like, well, take classes that you enjoy. So I was taking a lot of music classes. I was taking broadcasting and that's what got me through college. But I got interested in a lot of other things, started taking classes and that that's how the doctor part came. And so eventually I kept going on and doing other degrees and have something like nine certificates, three advanced degrees. So education has been a big part of my life. And also the kinds of things that I can do that are related to that. A lot of presentations, a lot of writing, a lot of reading, those types of things that are all related to it. And that's what I do for fun. So I just uh, started college for marketing myself. And uh, you. Now, now I know who's going to do my homework for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, glad to help people. Yeah, if you need some assistance, by, in all seriousness, yeah. Because it's, de it's definitely what is the going and a winning proposition. It's good timing. There's the so-called digital transformation that's going on. Everything is moving towards some sort of digital component, all businesses, everybody. So it is a good field to get into. And I see it coming. Um, and that's why I chose to go into it like now, because, <laughs> you know, it, just like the medical field, as soon as, as soon as they see people like going toward it, you know, it's going to saturate yeah. the market and then there's not going to be anything left for it. Um, mm -hmm. But we're in an age now where like technology and computers and that is everything. I mean, I'm sure you remember even as, you know, a few few years ago is like the 90s where like we used the Internet to escape from reality. 
you know, but now we're yeah. using reality to, to escape from the internet. It's just everywhere you look. <laughs> you got metaverse. This yeah. is exactly, it's going to be some sort of 3d world or some sort of in surround sound surround vision world. And yes, uh, so it's the future is here, you know, basically mm -hmm. that's what it would come down to. Yeah. The year 2000. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. I remember that. I remember that. Like that was like the thing of the nineties. Everybody's just like the year 2000, we're going to have these Y2K. cars. And yeah, that was an experience. The Y2K. <laughs> well, some of it is here. I mean, if you think about uh, you guys are, are young people, but the Jetsons that we used to watch is the comic strip or the comic on television, some of those things are here. I mean, are yeah. there possible, you know, so a lot of the communications that they had, the fact that they're flying cars and they do have examples of that around. So some of those things are here. I mean, people were yeah. thinking ahead and saw the future and some of those technologies are with us and you can't stop it. It's kind of like, you know, it's right. the train that's uh, keep on going and it's going to continue to go. Now, babe, um, you have been quiet this entire podcast, and usually you are just full of questions. I know you got a couple under your hat. Sorry. Uh, yeah. I, as I said, Finnegan just had surgery, so I, just, I was listening to him. He's outside the door. Sorry. <laughs> uh, that's why I was kind of quiet. I wanted to make sure he was, you know, okay. Oh, he's fine. Um, he's fine. <laughs> I worry. Sorry. Oh, so yeah, I'm, I'm a dog person. You know, you find people like different things. I'm a dog person. So I had a dog that, if you can believe it, actually lived for 20 years. That oh, wow. dog started out as the kid's dog. And then the kid goes to college. And then I had about another five, six years with that little guy. So, yeah, I, I can understand. And if the dog's <laughs> just a kid, I mean, yeah, so I'm a dog person. I get it. I understand. <laughs> yeah, we treat them dogs like they're our kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, in some ways they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was I was just going to um say that uh going back to your book, um, you know, I'm a child of divorced parents and I, you know, I definitely was kind of pitted, I feel, sometimes between the two, you know, as a way to get back at the other and I was just gonna say it's it's awful and you know it wasn't to any like awful extent where you know like one of my parents kept me from the other one or but you know it was there and i just the only people that end up being hurt in that are the children and yeah. it's just it's awful it's an awful thing that happens and yeah and, i'm oh go ahead baby i'm sorry oh no go ahead I was just going to add to your point. Um, so, yeah, like I actually myself, <laughs> I'm from a growing up. Um, my mom had married this gentleman uh, who uh, sired my two sisters. And then she was with my dad not long after, but she still had my, uh, she still had, uh, my sister's dad's last name. Hmm. And back in the eighties, you know, um, if that were the case, then the child would take on the last name of the mother. If it was so fit, you know, if there was nobody to sign the birth certificate. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, yeah. Um, for some reason or another, my dad never signed the birth certificate. It, that part was blank. But he he does show up on my uh, he does show up on my social security printout. It's weird. It's a whole thing. Um, but uh, so he left and he went to Florida, and I just didn't have a dad. <laughs> See, I can't really relate to the whole you know divorce and parents use because my mom didn't have a bartering chip my dad just scooted you know and sometimes that happens um in my situation um you know i i wanted to be there and she disappeared with the child you know it it just fell off the face of the earth and Mm -hmm. um it's you know it's it's sad. It's frightening. It's, you know, and like I was States away at this point, you know, I, I, you know, this was, she was living down in Florida and I had to go to, I had to move to Ohio because I had literally no way to support myself in Florida, you know? And, uh, it's, it's unreal, you know? And then one day just cease communication. Like I couldn't find them on the internet. Couldn't do anything. Um, I've even looked for him more recently and still, you know, Oh, geez. yeah. And you know, it's, it's That's... hard because people are like, people say all the time, um, you know, well, if, if I were to lose my kid, I would do whatever it takes. But sometimes the judicial system doesn't work with you, you know, no especially, question. especially if you're a man mm-hmm. and you know, it, it, it's enough to throw your hands up and just say, you know what, I'll wait, and whatever happens, happens. You know, and this is fairly common because they said, you know, I, when people ask the question, these things between a mother and a father, or husband and wife, you know, I have no comment on any particular situation. You know, I don't know, so I mean, I can't say anything about a particular situation, but from a man's point of view. It is very difficult, and this is why so many men are the so-called deadbeat dad when they're not deadbeat at all. They can't find the kid, or they're told something like, okay, if you're going to have a custody hearing, because the Paul and protagonist in the novel, this is what's pretty typical. Dad finds out there's a custody situation going on, and then they're ordered to have child support, and this is after three, four, six months, and then they get a bill for like $10,000. Well... (laughs) You know, like, where's this guy supposed to get $10,000? It's not yeah. like, you know, he's gone to his boss and he say, okay, now I have to support two households. I had one income before. Now I got two households. Well, mm. how do people do that? And it's impossible. And therefore, for a lot of men, they just find that, it, you know, it's much easier because of so much pain and so much agony. Look, I'm just going to bail out and hopefully that someday the child will come back because a lot of times children do seek out the parents and seek out their natural parent, but it's going to take a while. They have to be an adult before that happens. Right. And that's what, that's actually what happened between myself and my dad. I met my dad when I was 20 years old. Um, Hmm. and he was found through unconventional means. And I, I can't exactly say it without, uh, you know, putting, uh, putting uh somebody under the the microscope for that one but he was found by unconventional means and um i was asked if i would like his phone number and i said yes i would like his phone number 
you know, because when you're growing up and you're told, you know, that you have a dad, but he just left, Mm -hmm. you want to know why you want to figure it out. You know, I I wanted to throw on my detective cap and, you know, I knew he went to Florida. Mm -hmm. I had, you know, that's all I knew. And, um, when he was found, he was in Florida, but that wasn't where he landed. Like that's where he ended up later in life. Um, but when I found him, he had already, um, he had already took on a whole new family. Um, and you know, it was almost like I was a byproduct. Um, not to him, but his family, it was like, I, I got in the way, you know, I got in the way. And I mean, I love that family now. Um, there, you know, but like back then it was like, it was almost like I was breaching into different territory with people I didn't know. And, you know, sure. It it was just a weird situation, but I got to, I finally got to talk to my dad and he was not the most communicative, communicative person. Um, when it came down to like, uh, if I, Hmm. if I asked him a question, he would dance around it. You know what I mean? And, um, after I moved away and I moved back home, you know, I live in Ohio now. Um, I would have to call him to get a happy birthday, you know, like, and, and stuff like that. It's almost like he didn't try, but it, it, that was just in his nature. And from what I understand, he, he bailed on anything that had responsibility attached to it. Even this new family, he tried to bail on them a couple of times, but his, uh, his wife was tough and she, <laughs> she dragged, Hung she would there. always drag him back. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, and like it, it was, it, me and him formed a relationship based on that, but I was always poisoned against him when I was a kid, you know? Yeah. He yeah. did this and he did this, you know, he, when I came to his house and he kidnapped you and, and, you know, when I found him, you were sucking on a broken beer bottle. And then like years later, um, I have reconnected with some family who knew my mom back then and gave me the real story. And it was, he was trying to be a father to me. And she, she actually just dropped me off at my grandma's house one day and didn't come back for two months. <laughs> You know, and these are sources that I would believe that, you know, it's not like they they were a neutral party. It's not like they were, you know, for one side or the other. Mm -hmm. Um, And now that I my my dad passed, what, two months ago? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. he passed two months ago um, and I was able to go down to Florida and actually, you know, sit with him for a little while. And, you know, and I, you know, I finally I just I. I, I love dumped on him and then I forgave him. And I think that meant more to me, you know, just well, sure. carry, carrying that weight with me and all mm-hmm. that, all that like poison that my mom had, had fed me and like all those years, because it does do a lot of damage to you, you know, it, like as somebody who's experienced it, it does a lot of damage to you. And, uh, especially when you have two older siblings who know who their dad is <laughs> and uh, then they just kind of destroy you, you know, yep. like it's, it, it was just a, it was a, it was a one, one chance. Well, I wouldn't say one chance. I was going to say it's something that happens more often than it should. 
Yeah. That's know. the alienation type of thing that people describe mm-hmm. that yeah. the words that are used and the stories that are told. And unfortunately, yeah. when you're a kid, we don't have the adult understanding, but it makes an impression. So if you have a negative impression about somebody, well, that's what sticks in your head. And even if it's not true, but you know, why you were telling that, I said, I'll give you an example. I'm pretty fortunate. I was intact family, mom and dad, happy childhood. And so I'm really fortunate. My sister and I were really blessed in that regard. But my mom is a very unusual situation. She grew up in a very small town in upstate Pennsylvania. There's only 4,000 people in a town. You know, it's one of those towns that's so small. Everybody knows everybody else's business. Well, my supposedly my grandfather, who I think was my grandfather, was the town drunk. And my mom got dropped off at grandpa's house when she was four years old. And went on to start another family. So my mom was not raised by either her mother or her father and was dumped by both of them. But she lives in a small town and that was a guy that they see on the street that could have been your father, but he had no part of your upbringing and mom dropped him off. And she was raised fortunately by people who loved her, my grandfather and my great aunt. So knowing love and having at least some sort of stability is what made it really significant. So a lot of people think their mothers are the best in the universe, but I tell everybody the same. No, I know I have the best mom in the world. And I said, mom, how did you know this? How did you know how to be a parent? You didn't have parents yourself. And this is exactly what she told me. She said, when your dad and I got married, she said that we are going to do everything we can to be a good mother and father to you and have a strong family. And I'm going to do everything exactly the opposite of how I was raised. So that was her model of parenting. So everything that her mother and father didn't do, she did just the opposite. And, you know, I think my sister and I came out pretty well. So I'm really fortunate and blessed as a result. So um, I do have a, I do have a question coming from your background. Yeah. Um, What, made you decide aside from like just seeing you know certain things what made you decide on the topic that you decided to write on i think it was the fact that a common question that people ask is it's fiction right it's a novel and it didn't happen however what i say is reading it all the things that you think couldn't possibly have happened and are not true those are the true parts because I'd like to think I have some creativity, but I'm not that creative and I don't have that vivid of an imagination. So what I try to do is to say, here are some very unusual things that I know firsthand and I've heard from other people that these are things that are happening. So I'm gonna address this and take this on as a topic and that's what really got me over. So when I said earlier, I made an allusion to Chuck Berry's song, I know something like that happened in 1959 and then I've run across other people who are very close to me and they say, well, you know what? That's almost the exact same thing happened to me. So to provoke me to get it off the shelf because in a lot of ways I did have it on the shelf for a long time. I said, yeah, I'm almost like I'm the right person to do something with this now because I've got a good story. There are some really bizarre things in there, but it's true. How do I reformulate it in such a way to put a story together and characters and make it a part of fiction, but so realistic, it's as if this was real and as if this was actually happening. And hopefully that's what the reader gets out of it, that they can relate to it close enough to say, this is an incredible situation that 
kind of come back from this complete disaster and something that you think you would never be able to see your way out of. It's kind of like a famous expression from Nietzsche, the philosopher. He says, I've looked into the abyss. And, you know, there's a famous expression that people will say, that which does not kill me helps me grow. I think that kind of nails it. There are those mm -hmm. times in life where you think, yeah, this is the end. I can't survive. And then you do but you've right. grown as a result. So that's what really yeah. kind of motivated me. And I'd say the other motivation is the fact that I've said from the very beginning, when I told family and friends, I want to write this thing. I said, if it helps one person, that's just, that's it. Just one person. It's all worthwhile because yeah. that's the, really the bottom line. There's also at the very back of it, there's an appendix. So I'm not an attorney, but I wrote an appendix there, the ideal parental, situation and an agreement that you can have it can use as a model because all the things that people run into and have run into i put that as here is a parenting plan that can be used for somebody else so if somebody else can use that more power to them it can help and that was that inspired by your mom i think it was inspired by my personal experiences and then hearing like you know well, what happens when you can't get a hold of the other person what happens when your dad is a drunk or you know something like right. that there were there were times in situations where the child comes home and i saw the child with an injury and the other person had them well what do you do in those situations well the first thing you want to do is of course you want to go ballistic but, you know, you've got to do it in a sort of a systematic way, take care of the child, make sure emotionally they're okay. And in some of those real life examples where I experienced it firsthand, I had the small child and I would simply turn to her and say, you know, this is unusual, don't you? She would say yes. And I go, okay, well, there you go. You're going to have to figure this out someday. Maybe you're going to have to be on the couch of some psychiatrist someday, or you're going to figure it out yourself. But you need to know this is not normal. And you're going to have to unpack this and figure out what is normal. Now, just a slight hair off topic here. I got I just got to tell you that when I do read your book, I'm going to read it in your voice. You have like the most like broadcaster voice I've ever heard in my life. And I absolutely <laughs> love it. <laughs> well, thanks. I had said I was in broadcasting in college, yeah. but it was a really long, long time ago. And I do voice talent work, too. So, I mean, some of it is the fact that, yes, I want to project and what have you. And so I'm kind of custom to that. And I've thought about the idea. I have done voice talent work for other people in their books. And that's really why they asked me to do it. And also I do accents as well, too, which is kind of an added feature. So I've done accents for different parts of the country. So people have said a family story, but can you do it in an accent that's appropriate to that particular region? I'll give you an example of the, the voice stuff. I actually grew up in Northern New Jersey, which no one would know that I grew up in Northern New Jersey and why would never guess like I'm from Northern New Jersey, <laughs> but I'll give you an example. This is what I tell people all the time. I'm going to first say it in English so that you understand Then I'll say it in Jersey ease. If I say it in American, that is, 30 dirty birds. Now in Northern New Jersey, that comes out as doity doity boids. So it's very different and it's very heavily accented, but you know, mm -hmm. when I was in broadcasting, it's one of the things you take out all your regionalism. So I don't talk about it like, you know, but I would have talked, I'm sure as a young person. And see, that's, uh, that's kind of funny. Like I've noticed that like dialect changes, especially in the South, like the, the, the Northeast and the South. Um, 
the way that, you know, dialect changes is just crazy. Like when I lived in Florida, it was almost like Ohio people speaking country slang, you know, uh, because Ohio, we, um, I, I don't want to say that we talk fast, but we talk fast enough, you know, um, we're, you know, we're Midwesterners or almost or whatever. <laughs> I'm not sure, yeah. but like, yeah, we're Midwesterners. So, you know, when we talk, we talk really fast, almost unintelligible, you know, um, but when you go down to Florida, because everybody's kind of migrated from Ohio down to Florida, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. They, there's, they speak just as fast, but it's with that country slang. So when you go down to the holler, you yeah. know, you, you go, you go and get them fishes. Right. So, um, <laughs> and then I live, you always make fun of I was going to say, you always make fun of the way I talk because you say I over-accent my A's. Over-accent your A's. Shut up. I spend quite a bit of time in Pennsylvania, so my family is from there, and I notice there is something about them. They're great people. They're, you know, really down-to-earth, salt-of-the-earth types of people. But I notice my normal speaking pattern I mm-hmm. slow way down because yep. that's the way they talk. And I go, mm-hmm. oh, wait a minute. I guess, you know, it's not like they're not smart. They are smart because some people think if they talk slow, they're dumb. They're not dumb. They just have a very slow pattern. So the joke about Pennsylvania is, and this is where my family is from. This is why I can joke about this. I said, Pennsylvania is Pittsburgh and Philadelphia with Alabama in between. <laughs> my family's from the Alabama part. So yeah. yes, they just talk very slow. So I yeah. slow down. But it's relaxing. It's relaxing. See, that's actually kind of a joke on my end too. Like I I always tell people that I did my family line, you know, like I, I followed my dad all the way back to Scotland. And I followed my oh, okay. mom down to I followed my mom's uh genealogy all the way down to Greasy Creek, Kentucky. And nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, Greasy that's Creek, cool. Kentucky was a real place. Um, yep. See, and that's uh, Pennsylvania. My my family is from, and I'm not kidding you with this name. It's Pigeon Roost. Now that's that's the real <laughs> place. It's it's like I two cross it. streets of dirt roads. It's Pigeon Roost. I go okay. Whatever you guys I believe, say. <laughs> I believe every word of that. Actually, um, <laughs> I was I always tell people on my mom's side that like I you know I. Um, I've followed my, my family line all the way back to a goat and a can of Crisco. <laughs> there, finally dropped that weird shit that I've been talking about this whole time. There you go. Nice. Right. We got it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and it's funny how dialect changes. Um, because like I was saying in, in South Carolina, it's like Florida, but real slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to go down to the Wind Dixie and go get us some groceries before we head out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Real slow. Um, but uh, what got you? Uh, not not what got you into it, but like, do you do uh, work on like Fiverr and stuff like that just for funsies? Well, I found actually a lot of the workers. I'll give you an idea. A digital marketing agency is myself because it's a franchise. But everything that I do has to include other people. And I found that there are actually some really good and talented people and inexpensive on Fiverr. So a lot of the things that I do when I'm assembling for a client, let's say, is to go to my network, including not only the company, the formal part of the company, but those people that are on Fiverr too. Very quick, good job, 
inexpensive. I mean, a lot of the advantages. So what happens in trying to accumulate a team and reliable people, I think it's a really valuable resource. And there's great people out there. And I found it anybody in the world too, which is really cool. One of the best things about it is if you do work and clients really like this, if you get something done, by the time they come in the next day, it's there and ready for them. And why? Well, because you've actually contracted with somebody on the other part of the world. And while everybody on your side of the world has been sleeping, they're working. So by the time they right. come in, there it is for you. And they really like that. So I think things can get done really quickly. Yeah, I've, I've used Fiverr for a couple of things, and I think they do great. I mean, there's a couple people on there that uh, I had one person design a logo and like I could have designed that logo, you know, and so I had to tell them like, sorry, you know, I'm not paying for this. <laughs> and I moved on to somebody else and they did a wonderful job. And, you know, it's not that I was dissatisfied. It's just, I don't think I, I talked to the person, uh, to the right person when, you know, when expressing what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And there, you know, I was able to get my refund, no problem and everything. I think Fiverr is great. I think it's a fantastic tool for, you know, marketing of all sorts, you know, and voiceovers. Yep. And, it's, and, and it's something which is pretty awesome because it's kind of one of those things that the Internet, the promise was always to bring people together and what have you. And that's just what it does. It brings people together that you wouldn't have access to any other way and you would never have contact with them. Now you do. And that's that global thing that kind of brings everybody together into a global yeah. village. That's one of the best things about the internet. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So how about you? Uh, what's your plans on writing another book? Yeah, that that's actually a really good question because uh, just this past week, I finished the first draft of a screenplay based on the novel. So now the next step is to find out what I can do with the screenplay. And one of the interesting things about the screenplay is the fact that there is no set way of getting a screenplay out there. And so I'm doing the research on doing that. And there are various ways. So I think that does lend itself to a visual presentation. That's why I thought about a screenplay in the first place, because there is a lot of action. There's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of things going like that. So I thought, okay, you know, I think a visual representation of this really does make a whole lot of sense because there is a lot of conflict. So not like you're going to have car crashes and things exploding and what have you, but emotionally it is really having a lot of conflict and a lot of things that people I think would be engrossed by a story. So with a screenplay, now I'm shopping it around and there's various ways you can go to actors, you can go to directors, you can go to producers, you can go to people who are investors. There's various ways and that's what you have to do. It's a basic networking 101. So that's the next step that I'm really engaging in, taking some classes, doing what I did with the novel. Like I've never written a novel before, got to do some research, find out, take a couple classes. That's what I've done. But to answer also what the next plans are, this is why I want to build a community around Burning America, because this is the first of what I consider a trilogy, not including the screenplay. I've got two other books that I'm going to be working on, one having to do with my academic background in history and the other having to do with companies and work related, both of them with that title. Also, Burning America, but changing the subtitle a little bit, one having to do with history, one having to do with jobs and companies. But there are three things that I know, family history and companies or working. So it's going to be all based on this notion of burning America. The three things that I think are really critical to this country and the future of the country and those people who are in the next generation or younger, this is what I'd like to try to share my wisdom. Hopefully they can learn a thing or two from it. So a lot of projects and a lot of things that I'm really pretty active in. 
That actually sounds... Have you thought about maybe uh, throwing it out to Netflix? Because I'll tell you what, I hear they pick stuff up all the time. And and they do. So, I mean, again, that's something that I've seen that Netflix and other streaming platforms or projects that you wouldn't have had seen the light of day previously are now out there. So one of the things yeah. of projects from my research, I'm telling you, I am watching a Netflix movie about every night and it tells me it's convincing me there's a lot of bad movies out there. Because there certainly is. I didn't, I didn't watch that many, actually, you know, because I don't really do a whole lot of television and movies and what have you. But I'm realizing there's not a whole lot of quality all the time. So I think, well, it's like anything else. If uh, I was talking to a mechanic and there's a good mechanic and a bad mechanic, I'd go to the good mechanic. That's kind of what I'm hoping there. So I'm going to try to do the good mechanic approach and say, well, I okay, I see all these bad things. So let me see if I can get a really good story, which is really dramatic, really emotional, really involving, and say, here's a story that people can understand and can relate to and hopefully I come out with a good project because it's going to be I think different it's not the same kind of nonsense you see it's not the cliche it's not the same thing you've seen a thousand times and the same kind of characters that you see all the time over and over one of the big things about Hollywood that I've learned from my research is that one of the biggest things they do has to do with intellectual property and that's why you start seeing it's whatever they're up to now, light year six or whatever. I mean, because they just regurgitate the same thing over and over yeah. again. So getting that property and redoing it just in a slightly different fashion is one of the big things. Well, this has nothing to do with any of that. So no flashbangs, no, no explosions, nothing like that. But I think the story itself is explosive. You have to have real actors. You have to have a real story. And I think that's what people would be willing to listen to and see and watch and enjoy. <laughs> And it sounds like something Liz and I would probably get into. It just sounds like it's full of uh, mm -hmm. emotions. And, and Liz, she loves watching movies that has all the feels. Yeah. I was going to say it also would speak to a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people have been through this kind of stuff. So, Yeah. yeah. According to the research, I've looked at it. There's 220 million families in the United States who have been impacted by custody or parental alienation. And so if there's 220, that's basically two thirds of the country because there's about yeah. 350 million people in the country. So yeah. mm -hmm. I think if you're looking at an audience base, well, two thirds of the country are gonna say, either I've experienced that myself or I know somebody who's been through that. And that's why I think it's kind of a sellable product if I was thinking it more in commercial terms that, yeah, this is something that it's that I would hope that the time has come to address this and to make people aware. And I remember back in the 60s is what we said, raising consciousness. If you want anything done or you want anything positive, first of all, you got to get people aware of it. And that's the thing that I try to do with both the novel and hopefully with a screenplay, just get people aware of this is something that we really need to look at as a country. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think uh, I think you're on to something. I think it might be the start of uh, a beautiful thing. Uh, might be the start of awareness, at least, because um, yeah. I think more people need to be, you know, aware of that situation and the impact that it has on the kids. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, so we have about three minutes left that uh, I promise you. Why don't you give us uh, give us a little bit about what you may have coming next? If you haven't said anything yet, maybe if you want to say something to your mom, the stage is yours. <laughs> yeah, mom. She's uh, 85 years young. So she has been one of the 
primary people in my entire life, both mom and dad, I said, you know, I'm really blessed. I'm really one of those people that were in a generation that intact family, mom and dad at home, the largest amount of noise that ever came from our family might have been from my mom and my mom's laughter because there just wasn't <laughs> any sort of unsettled kind of thing. Nobody yelled, nobody screamed. Everybody was very calm and rational. It was a great family to grow up in. But I also think that being aware of what's coming and if you don't mind a plug or two, um, Instagram burning America is really where people can find out all the things that I'm working on. So I'm always putting things out there. Pictures, I try to go, I've asked people when they read the book, hey, if you don't mind, take a picture of you reading the book. One of my good friends back east, she has her dog reading it. And I said, great, I love this little tiny dog, a papillon, a little three pound, little great little pup. Oh yeah, and I said, cute hey, I don't. <laughs> they are, they are cute as heck. I mean, it's three pounds, the cutest dog. I would say this dog is Kokomotion because it just has a lot of motion to it. But I said, I don't want to dog you, but please pick up a copy of the novel. So a little Love slogan it. there with it as well, too. And then, you know, again, also trying to get people to say, be aware, tell people, read, and hopefully get the story out there. And that's what I'm hoping for. If I can get that one person, I said that and then I would feel better that the effort and the time and the expense of putting something like this as a project together would be really worthwhile. Well, that sounds wonderful. And uh, I urge everybody uh, to go onto our website um, and go to Mix episode. You'll be able to find his profile there. Should have all of his socials. You put your socials on there, right? I sure hope so. Yes. And I'll tell you <laughs> if and not, we'll add them later. There. If That's not, we'll awesome. add him later. But yeah, you'll be able to uh, you'll be able to visit his uh, all of his socials on our follow him. You know, give him some love, share his book. You know, let let everybody know that this is the next step in making America better. And Mick, Absolutely. I want to thank you so much for being on today. You have inspired me, and um, I hope to stay in contact with you. And I'd like to have you back on one of these days, maybe on your next venture. Um, when you get that screenplay out there, you know, turn it that, into a that'd, movie. That'd be awesome. Both of you guys really terrific today. I love the fact that you are a good working couple together. Kudos for you guys. The fact that you love dogs. Yes. We're the same people here. Understand completely right in there. And, you know, we went through this whole thing and we hardly ever did anything weird. You guys seem really normal and really <laughs> terrific people. That's awesome. <laughs> Listen to some of the older episodes. Oh, okay. Okay. We, we, kept, we kept a PG for mom. Uh, thanks. She would appreciate it. All right, mom. You're welcome. I got you next time, though. All right, Mick. I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to wish everybody adieu. Um, thank you guys for tuning in today. We are your humble hosts. My name is Dave. And I'm Liz. And we will see you next week. Thanks, guys. See ya. Thank you.